start the week with Tim and Damo on the Unmade Podcast. Welcome back to the Unmade Podcast. I'm Tim Burrows. And I'm Damien Francis. You're listening to a pilot episode of a new podcast from Unmade. We'll explore the big breaking media and marketing stories and look at the agenda for the coming week. Damo, what's on the list? This morning, Tim, we'll be talking about Netflix's boss in Australia, Variety Mag's return to Oz, 10 Saturday rating woes, and the hidden info in last week's financials. And before we get into today's topics, it's time to give you a proper welcome, Damien. You only came on board a few days ago. Uh, let's explain what you'll be doing on the Unmade team. Yeah, Tim, you on the Unmade team. Thank you for the welcome. Uh, working with you for five years, of course. In our previous life in Mumbrella. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, I'll be looking at the subscription content for Unmade and focusing on some deep dive material that we'll be doing and also the, the back end of the business, essentially. So I think the Zero is going to become my best friend over the next uh, year or so, which will be interesting. Unmade. Well, let's get straight to it as we start the week. First topic. First topic for this week is Netflix. The CEO, Reed Hastings, has come out to Australia only for the second time in that role. His first time was 2015. Uh, this was reported by the Sydney Morning Herald and Zoe Samios. Tim, what were your thoughts? Well, I suppose, first of all, it's worth making the point we're talking about Mumbrella alumni. That's another one with Zoe. Um, so this story, as you say, in the SMH and the Age. One of the things that's interesting about this is Reed Hastings is a busy guy. He doesn't just pop over to Australia on a bit of a whim. Now, I'm sure there'll be some production stuff that they're interested in, Australia's production capabilities, but that's not his day job. So it's clearly to have some more serious high-level conversations. And one of the things for me that's interesting in Zoe's piece is she obviously asked him who he'd been visiting during the catch-up, uh, and she listed... Um, uh, Mike Sneesby, former boss of Stan, now running all of nine. She mentioned uh, Clive Dickens, who um, has a big part of Optus's um, uh, entertainment play. Um, Emil Sherman, production company Cecil, which I think is quite interesting as well. He was the person who was the producer of The King's Speech, amongst other things. So he's one of, uh, one of Australia's few Oscar winners. Um, and then Screenworks chief executive Ken Crouch, um, she mentioned he didn't meet the government, and maybe we'll come on to that in a second. The other thing that's interesting is she didn't mention that he met anyone from Seven West Media, and I bet you a shiny dollar that he did. And to me, it's almost interesting that he chose not to mention that, if in fact he was the source of who he had the meetings with, because that sort of suggests to me if there was a conversation going on, then they didn't want to uh, volunteer it. Um as I wrote about at the weekend um, in the financials piece that we will talk about a little bit later. I did chat to uh, Seven's boss, James Warburton, a couple of weeks back when their financials came out. And um, it was interesting that he was alluding to talking to a couple of overseas players because everyone's been thinking about NBC Universal, Peacock as the tie-up. But maybe if there is a tie-up for Seven, then it could yet be Netflix. So that was one of the interesting points for me. Which would be one hell of a tie-up if it happened. But let's talk about uh, the government, which you alluded to just before, of course. Now, Hastings did mention that uh, the way that Australia had been going about it was uh, quite good in terms of 
the, uh, the, the quotas, but working with media companies as well uh, in, in terms of getting them to produce local content before actually enforcing any quotas. What was your take on that? I suspect it means that they know they'll already easily get there uh, and this would help be a barrier to uh, smaller streaming players who maybe won't easily get there. So I wonder if there is a slight risk that we, we end up in trying to help the locals. We actually end up making uh, making life a bit easier for one of the behemoths too. And very quickly, he mentioned that we hadn't reached peak streaming just yet probably a good thing for the locals in that case as well if it's true your thoughts yeah look i mean his his point was we probably haven't peaked but also we will see uh the third player buying the sixth player and so on as there's a bit of consolidation and that kind of uh that kind of does make sense too well uh next an iconic magazine comes to australia unmade Global media brand Variety will return to Australian shores via the Bragg Media and its CEO, Luke Gerges. Tim, you've got a bit of a history with Variety. Yeah, look, and it's worth acknowledging that obviously the reason we're doing this podcast on a Monday morning is because it's the day that the media and marketing titles come out, which is, as we say, we have the, the, the age and the SMH tend to put the same content in both on a Monday. Also, we have the AFR does their media and marketing section and the Australian does the same all on Monday. And yet here we are starting with two in a row from Zoe Samuels. So um, yeah, Zoe breaks the news that um, the brag or brag media as it is now um, are going to bring a local franchise of, I guess you'd think of it as a Hollywood magazine variety to Australia. But as you say, yeah, I've got a little bit of a history, a failed history, by the way. Um, I think we'll put the word failure very front and centre um, in our sort of relationships with um, variety and writing about the production world. So back when we owned Mumbrella, we also, through our company Focal Attractions, we were the local franchise representative of variety so we used to be the local kind of sales arm which in all honesty really meant that once a year the US edition would do a special on the Australian production sector and we'd go around all of the big Australian studios and they'd all put an ad in it Um, but we also bought the Australian film production magazine Encore with the bright idea that we would digitise it which was a very, very expensive and failed bright idea. Um, eventually, we turned Encore into a weekly tablet edition. Um, and Tablet mags know, didn't work? Tablet mags didn't work. No, mm. we thought that was the bright new thing at the time, um, but didn't really work. We learned we learned a lot of lessons along the way, one of which that was certainly at that point... Um, the TV production sector and the film production sector was the small end of town in a small end of town. So um, it was really hard to make the dollars stack up. Now, obviously that world has changed somewhat since then because of the boom in um, uh, video streaming. And that's created a you know something of a renaissance for the production sector. Whether that translate in, translates into advertising for variety, though, we'll we'll have to see. So I, 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 
I wish the team at the um, the Bragg Media good luck because it would be great to have a credible magazine for the sector. Uh, I think they're saying they'll just publish four times a year plus digital stuff as well, presumably. Um, but I guess the challenge for them will be to go beyond just repeating the press releases and to break some big stories. And um, if they do that and survive, then my hat will be taken off. Next. What the Iconics Big Move says about how companies are thinking about marketing. Unmade. So we move on to Monday's edition of The Australian and The Growth Agenda, which is their sort of... um, I don't quite know how to describe the growth agenda. It's always very positive about the media and marketing world, isn't it? I, yeah, it um, wouldn't happen to be anything to do with the Advertising Council of Australia getting behind it, would it? I think they may. I'm not sure if they fund it, but certainly mm. they, they seem to provide the content. Interesting conversation this week in which they talked to Dean Chadwick about his new role at the Iconic. Yeah, that's right, Tim. Dean Chadwick, who used to be the CEO of Velocity Frequent Flyers. That's not Virgin, that's Velocity Frequent Flyers, the uh, Frequent Flyer Point Scheme. This was from Pippa Chambers in uh, The Australian, as you mentioned before. We're seeing a lot of the ex-trade media journos uh, popping up in in main media. Uh, But Dean Chadwick's taken on that coveted role at the Iconic, but it's not going to be called the CMO this time. It's Chief Customer Officers, so we've seen a change there in, in the way that they describe, and the reason for that is uh, that uh, it's going to be focusing a lot more uh, on customer experience and customer relations as well, and drawing that in closer to to the role itself, and acknowledging that the the CMO also has to deal uh, a lot with the, with the customer, making sure they have the best experience possible, which for an online retailer like the Iconic, uh, an extraordinarily prominent one, uh, is a, a pretty important part of, of the whole process. It's not the first time we've seen uh, the CMO role, um, I, I won't say be eradicated, but, but gain more components and be renamed something else. I, Arguably, the most recent one was probably Koala and, and Peter Slotterdyke, who who has left that business. But that role there was chief marketing and technology officer, and, and Koala tried to bring in the technology front uh, into that. And uh, unfortunately, that didn't work out. But um, it'll be interesting to see in this case whether roles, expanding market roles uh, like this, end up bringing the marketers closer closer to the boardroom table, essentially getting them that seat on the table that they've always coveted and, and always uh, you know, argued that they deserve being that they have such a, an important role in bringing customers on board and that relationship experience with the brand. So this will be an interesting one. I think the thing that sets Dean apart as well, and this is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, for, for quite a while he was actually the acting CEO of Velocity Frequent Flyers as well. So he's got very broad experience business-wise and a very uh, wise head on the shoulders there. Slightly different, of course, to to what the Iconic does, but uh, he already has experience going beyond uh, the the marketing role as well. But dare I ask you, Tim, do you you think these sort of expanded marketing roles will, will see marketers finally get that recognition that they want at the boardroom table? Oh yeah, look that—that's one of those questions that comes up again and again and again. Um, I think if you 
if you chatted to many agency people, they would argue the problem is with the rise of the CMO, they've actually made it harder for their voices to be heard because these days they talk to the CMO rather than the CEO. Um, But at the same time, as marketing becomes a discipline and a science, uh, then that becomes something that you can talk to brand value. And of course, once that's something which is measurable uh, on a balance sheet, then that's that's the kind of thing which becomes arguable at the at the, the, the the boardroom table. A lot, though, I'd say is then just depends of the structure. Then just depends on the people involved, you know, because Dean obviously only works as chief customer officer because of his experience as a marketer. Um, and then it depends on the company, you know. So, for instance, the Iconic, I don't think they do any of their manufacturing themselves. So um, they're one very specific type of company. Effectively, they're a marketing organisation, um, not a manufacturer. Uh, so, so that seems quite specific. And then in plenty of organisations where you want to see things coming together would be uh, the communications function coming together with marketing and possibly the sales function too, or um, for fans of Peep Show, Project Zeus, as it was known. Coming up next, we'll be talking about the latest financials. Unmade. Last week saw some of the big media companies release their financial numbers to the ASX. Tim, you crunched them in Saturday's Best of the Week email, which I would suggest you do go back and read if you haven't seen that one. But uh, what did we learn that we did not know before? Okay, I uh, I took about two and a half days to write this, and um, it probably took about two and a half days to read as well. But let me uh, cut to a few quick highlights, which you can read if you go to unmade.media. Um, Omedia finally revealed how much they got from the sale of Junkie, which was only two and a half million dollars. Uh, we discovered that The Edge, which is HTE's Western Sydney radio station, that brand is about to disappear. We knew there was a reboot coming, but I think this was the first time we found out. And I think we'll really expect a big marketing campaign. You know, maybe they'll spend almost as much money as they did as when they launched uh, so successfully Kiss when Carl Sanderlands and Jackie Henderson came across. Uh, we discovered that the loss of the nine affiliate deal uh, to SCA when they had to switch to 10, revenue dropped, but profit rose because they got a bigger slice. Um, we found out Kathy O'Connor at O-Media and Kieran Davis had very big pay packets. You can read the exact number in the analysis. And then the main other thing that came through is the the thing I was most interested in crunching was where are we really at? Because the problem of comparing 2021 numbers to 2020, which is what we were doing, is we're comparing a slightly improved year on an awful, awful, awful year, probably the worst we'll ever see in our working lifetimes, hopefully. Certainly one we want to forget the most. Yeah, exactly. Um, So it, it seemed quite fruitful to actually crunch the 2019 numbers against the 2021 numbers, which is 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 the main part of the exercise. And one of the interesting things about that for me, was that television has not only bounced back but gone forward. Now, that still comes with the caveat that could that just be that some, particularly for television because of the Olympics, some of the 2020 money just nudged into 2021 and won't be recurring? Uh, That is the big question. But uh, for now, you know, the, the, the main picture I got was radio, outdoor, 
really haven't bounced back yet. But right now, TV is roaring ahead. Let me say two things quickly. Uh, The context around the junkie sale at $2.5 million when it was sold uh, to O back in 2016 was $13 So Yeah, the valuation, that's right. Yeah, they didn't pay all of it up front, but it it effectively gave it a valuation of $13 million. Uh, And and just quickly as well, you mentioned TV. Nine's performance was particularly strong. Were, Were you at all surprised to see the kind of figures that Nine was presenting? Look, every part of Nine fired, really. You know, there wasn't a single part that didn't have improved numbers. Um, It started to feel like, in terms of scale, radio, or total audio, as Nine refers to it now, is actually a bit of a minnow compared to the other sectors. So, you know, that was just more than a half thought than anything else. But certainly it feels like, TV, both traditional and let's call it new, is firing for nine. Um, the market got a bit jittery six months ago when when Mike Sneesby signalled that he was going to be investing a bit more in Stan in terms of content. Um, market seems to have forgiven that now, but I think there's still investment to come. So I wouldn't be surprised if the profitability of Stan falls a bit in the short term. Uh, but of course, there are um, still big deals to be done, as perhaps the arrival of Reed Hastings in town suggests. And speaking of which, we'll be talking more TV next. Unmade. Ten's ratings woes came to a, an all-time, well, I was going to say all-time high, but you really say all-time low in terms of uh, where they're rating uh, Tim, how much of a disaster was the weekend just past ratings for 10? Well, if the networks still cared about overnight ratings, and of course these days they pretend that they really don't, then it would have been pretty woeful. My my attention was actually drawn, it was because of a tweet from uh, Steve Mulk, who writes for TV Black Box, who uh, yesterday, being Sunday as we're recording this, um, uh, tweeted about the Saturday night share for 10. So he tweeted, last night, 10's primary channel was sixth behind ABC News. Sixth, lift your game, Channel 10. We're a month after the Ash Barty Oz Open victory and the consolidated 28 numbers reflect that for nine, 59.1% primary channel. Um, So I think to Steve Mock's point, now 10 was um, broadcasting the A-League, Sydney versus Melbourne, which of course is a, you know, it's a, it's, it's a niche audience. And although that's one of the big clashes, it's still a niche audience. Still a tier two sport. Yeah, so still a tier two sport, certainly in Australia. So that that's worth acknowledging. Um, I think the the other thing that's worth acknowledging is all people is not the space where the TV networks play in. You know, they do play in twenty five fifty four, ten. Although they still say they're the under fifties network, tend to do slightly better in sixteen thirty nine. So looking at the, the, the TV ratings week, which ended on on Saturday night, um, in primetime um, network channel share, and this is based on Austan data prepared by Nine and circulated to the trade press each Sunday morning, um, you, 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 you see the difference. So in the week just gone, uh, Nine had a, a 41.7% share of the commercial market, uh, 7, 36.7%. 
and then uh, Network 10 was all the way back at 21.7. So a long way behind in that three-way share. And then that, um, you know, that, 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 that that's also challenged for um for 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 ten when you go twenty five fifty four you know they were seventeen point six versus more than thirty for nine and twenty two point six for seven so another very big week in that target demographic for nine thanks I suspect quite a lot to uh, married at first sight. But then looking at primary channel by day, I mean, Ted was sort of in the game a bit because thanks in large part to Survivor, I think. Um, but they really fell off when it got to the weekend, you know, as 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 Steve Mark kind of alluded to, that sort of that Saturday night share might might be a record low. Didn't help that Australia decides on SBS was deciding who was going to represent Australia in Eurovision. Um, so that probably hurt things a bit, but um, but yeah, if um, if you're a network boss who worried about overnight ratings, then that wouldn't have been the greatest weekend just gone. And just quickly, do you really think Paramount, ANZ, Viacom, CBS, uh, whichever they'd like to be known as at the moment, and I'd assume it's the former, they're probably not too worried about this at the moment, are they? couple of things there's loose ends to be tidied up because there's about 18 months left to run now on the affiliate deal with southern cross Stereo, so there's a deal to be done there um so that feels like higher on the agenda and the other thing is you know i i i listened recently to the global investor call from when the call started, it was Viacom CBS, and by the time the call finished, it was Paramount. Um, as the name change kicked in, um, Ten's primary role is to sell subscriptions to Paramount Plus. That's the strategic rationale for owning Ten as a global company. Obviously, they want it to be profitable, and I suspect it is. But the priority is Paramount Plus. Final story coming up next, and we're going into the world of media monitoring. Unmade. Tim, John Kroll, the founder of TrueScope, has announced a significant uh, investment, but he is not particularly interested in the Australian market at the moment, which he worked in previously as CEO of iCentra. This was a story uh, covered in the AFR and uh, another ex-Mumbrella journalist, Miranda Ward. uh, Tell us a bit about what's going on here. First, a bit of a declaration of interest. So as you'll see in the story in the AFR, um, during this investment round of 6.2 million, one of the organisations which uh, took part in the investment round was a startup um, uh, investment company called Jellix, which um, I have a... Uh, small investment in via my super fund. So um, I should declare an interest. Um, I should also say when they were doing this particular investment, I stayed away from the documents because obviously it's my world. So um, I didn't play any role in them deciding to make that investment and didn't watch the investor call or anything like that. So have no knowledge of true scope beyond what's in the AFR today. And the fact that I've um, been watching John Kroll for a while, obviously, because he used to, as as you say, used to run Icentia, which was before that known as Media Monitors. 
And of course, um, I ended up writing a pretty much a chapter of my book about their unfortunate adventures when they bought King Content just before King Content kind of missed, uh, started missing its numbers um, as it kind of rode the uh, content marketing wave, which then broke. And we went from seeing Icentia being maybe a, on its way to being a billion dollar market capitalization company to by the time it was finally taken off the ASX, it was only worth about 20 million or something. Um, that chapter was just uh, published on Unmade as well. So do go back and, and have a listen to the audio format uh, of that. That's right. We're doing one one chapter at a time of the audio format. And it's also worth making the point that um, although John Kroll says he's not particularly interested in Australia at the moment because of this uncertainty about the, the um, uh, copyright tribunal, I suspect he's just enjoying throwing a tiny little bomb the way of uh, his competitors, Icentia um, and Meltwater and the rest. So um, we'll 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 see in the long term whether he comes to Australia. I um, it's the world he knows, so I wouldn't be surprised if he does. Before we go, just a reminder to celebrate Damien's arrival on board the Unmade team. We've got a special offer. You'll find it unmade.media forward slash demo for people who are on australian demo is spelt d-a-m-o so that's unmade.media forward slash d-a-m-o you can save 60 percent on the price of an annual subscription to unmade reducing the price from the usual 650 dollars per year to a special price of 260 dollars but you've only got 12 days left to make use of it go to unmade.media forward slash demo and save that's it for this morning there'll be another edition of the unmade email on wednesday and the next edition of the unmade podcast will drop on thursday with another chapter of the audio version of tim's book media unmade yeah we are getting to the pointy end of media unmade now it's chapter 19 this week home james covering the return of james warburton to seven west media now hopefully you enjoyed today's pilot edition of our new start the week podcast i'm sure it's a bit bumpy at the moment and we'll gradually get to grips with the former we would love to hear what you think of it to letters at unmade.media that's letters at unmade.media Today's podcast was produced with the usual enthusiastic support of Abe's Audio. See you next time. Toodle pen. <laughs>